Welcome to Bible study. It's very good to be with you again and thank you for tuning in with us. Today it's another topic, quite interesting one, talking about Armageddon. And stay with us, we'll try to unveil quite a few things in regard to this subject. But before that, I would like to thank again our panel to take some time to come together here and share from the Bible with our listeners. And thank you very much for taking some time, guys, and come on board with us. First of all, I would like to welcome Ken. Hi, Ken. How are you today? I'm very well indeed. Thank you, Nick. You're the first time with us uh, on the Bible study, and we are very grateful to have you with us. Thank you, Harvey, coming back again. And uh, Lija is here also. Thank you, Lija. Hi, everybody. As I mentioned, a very hot subject to say so today. I would like to go straight into it, and I will just pass it to Len uh, right away. Len, thank you for all your uh, preparation and uh, coming on board again. You're very welcome. And hello, listeners. Before we um, deal with other things, we'd like to thank those of you who've sent positive feedback regarding the Bible studies we present on radio. It's good for us to know that you appreciate what you hear and that you're becoming more familiar with the truths of the Holy Scriptures. And as you probably know, we've been dealing with the topic preparation for the end times. And today the subject is Babylon and Armageddon. The subject of Armageddon has captured the interest of many people, and even a movie has been made about it. But much of what has been said is more to do with drama than truth. Today we'll endeavour to see what the Bible has to say about these two topics. Firstly, we'll share about Babylon, and secondly, about Armageddon. And I invite you to bow your heads with me in prayer. Father in heaven, we are dealing today with some very important topics. We pray that what is presented will be what you want everyone to know. We pray that the Holy Spirit might lead us and convict us into truth. We invite your blessings on all the listeners who are listening today and us as we present. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to start off, Ken, since we're starting with Babylon... How many times do you think the name Babylon is mentioned in the book of Revelation? Well, if we look into the book of Revelation and you carefully go through that, you will find that the name Babylon is actually mentioned six times. Six. So there must be quite a bit of significance about that. Harvey, where was the historical city of Babylon located? In today's terms, it's, we'd, we'd call it modern-day Iraq, it's about 94 kilometres southwest of Baghdad. Oh, you know your geography pretty well. And uh, also, Harvey, if you went there today, what would you find? You wouldn't find too much. You find a lot of ruins and there are some excavations as well. Yes. And yet at one stage, Babylon was a mighty city with one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Ken, what was that? That was the amazing hanging gardens of Babylon, which we believe was uh, built by the king for his wife. And it was just an outstanding feat of engineering. These wonderful gardens, very high up, and they were watered from the Euphrates River. Right. You will notice that uh, many towns and cities are usually near rivers, and Babylon was right 
near the Euphrates River. In fact, the river ran right through the middle of it, so there was a left and a right side of it. Harvey, in the book of Revelation, which focuses on end times, has much to say about Babylon, referring to the present and to the future. How come Revelation picks on Babylon, which is a desolate, ruined city, to uh, tell about things regarding the present and the future? Babylon is used as a metaphor because of its characteristics. The things we know about Babylon are typical of some of the things that are going to happen towards the end times. So let's just see what Babylon was like in the past. And that might help us to understand what the Bible means about coming events. Ken, was Babylon a powerful city? Absolutely. Babylon was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, fort city at that particular time. Again, the engineering of it was outstanding for its day. It was massively very high built. It was a massive large city, had incredible thick walls. In fact, on the very tops of the walls you could get chariots driving around them and it was definitely classed as an impregnable city that you could not attack. It was so strong. Okay, so it was a very powerful city, both in its fortifications and in its buildings and, well, in many aspects. Ledger, was Babylon the centre of a powerful empire? Uh, yes, Babylonian Empire, it stated that it was the first of the four world empires mentioned in Daniel 2 and 7. And um, also it, it was a mighty city uh, with one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. Yeah. A very powerful city yeah. centre, yeah. Well... I guess the next question is almost logical to answer. Yes. Was it the centre of commerce and trade? Yes, of course it was uh, the centre of the commerce and trade and it, because it was very rich and very prosperous. Yes. So we've got a picture from the past of Babylon being a wealthy, powerful, prosperous city. Uh, but there is something we haven't yet talked about which is going to come up soon. Ken, in what context does the Bible speak about Babylon? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that Babylon was not a very good place to be. And we're just going to read Revelation 14 and verse 8, come out of her my people, and verse 8 starts, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Okay, so the Bible is using Babylon this as a metaphor, if you like, about a situation that will exist in the world, and it condemns it in by saying to God's own people, come out, come out of there, because Babylon is fallen. We'll deal with that a little bit later on. From what secular history and biblical history reveals Babylon was a rich, powerful, beautiful city. The people felt safe. They were educated and quite religious, but they worshipped many idols and the moon and other heavenly bodies. Marduk was their chief idol. The people believed 
also that real gods or the spirits of the gods resided inside their idol images. Marduk, their chief god, has been depicted on a cylinder seal with his dragon. Now this is very interesting. Another symbol of Marduk was the snake dragon. Marduk was also known as Bel, that is, Baal. The Babylonians believed that the world was created by Marduk. Marduk and Baal are basically one and the same. The Babylonians called it, or him, Lord. And not only was he thought to be creator, but he controlled fertility, including the seasons. So Harvey, with the reference to Babylon and Revelation, what does God warn against? God clearly warns against worship of other gods, association with the snake dragon, worship of the occult, worship of powerless objects, that is idols and their symbols, and against hedonism, which is self-worship. Yeah. You know, listeners, that Baal worship still exists today. Sex, free expression, excesses, debauchery, and self-indulgence, that is self-worship, are its key elements. This is demonstrated in the annual Burning Man Festival at Black Rock, Nevada, United States. I've been to that particular location, although the Burning Man Festival wasn't there. If you go online, you'll find that uh, it'll, it'll probably horrify you. I also uh, read about in, I think it was part of Lebanon, where there is a group that still worships the god Baal. And they have some sort of an image, and um, Baal worship is alive and well. Harvey, would you mind reading Revelation chapter 17, verse 5? And then I'll ask, perhaps you read it first, then I'll ask the question. Revelation 17, verse 5. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So what are these abominations? There's a number of them that can be included, and we've mentioned a couple of them already. Hedonism, self-indulgence, disregard of moral values and limitations, idol worship, and complete disregard of God's will for human beings. So Babylon concerns not just worship. It concerns, if you like, lifestyle. And the Baal worship encouraged, or it seems that it encourages, all sorts of excesses, especially sex. Lydia, would you mind reading Revelation 18, verse 2? Yes. Another angel came, and with a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. Though we see that Babylon in the exterior looked rich and prosperous and nice and beautiful, this verse is saying that uh, it was a home of demons and evil spirits. Yes. So it was rotten inside. Yes, it yes. was riddled with... Well, I'm going to put it in a very plain expression. It was riddled with Satanism. Ken, would you mind reading Revelation chapter 18, verses 10 and 21? And before you do, I'm going to ask the question, 
so the listeners can be listening to hear and then I'll put the question to you afterwards. Revelation 18 verses 10 and 21. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for a one hour is thy judgment come. And verse 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus, with violence, shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. So what does the Bible there say is going to happen to Babylon? Is it going to increase? Is it going to... Well, what's the answer, Kent? Well, I I think it makes it pretty clear that Babylon's coming to uh, a dramatic and climatic end in the not-too-distant future. Yes. Harvey... Referring to modern-day Babylon, what else does Revelation 18, verse 3, point out? Well, I'll read the text first. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. One of the things it's caused is worldwide corruption self-indulgence and evil continually for everyone. Ledger, you've got something to share about this. Yes, um, there is no question that the power of Babylon represents, as depicted in the book of Revelation, is a greatly corruptive influence that extends across the whole world. The phrase that is written in uh, Revelation 14.8 the wine of the wrath of her fornication is clearly a reference to false doctrine, false teaching and corrupt practices, as well as the end results that come from them. Babylon is a force for evil that has spread to all nations, as it says in Revelation 18 verse 3. Hence, everyone needs to take heed least he or she be corrupted as well. So if you were looking to find Babylon, I don't think you're going to have to look very far. In fact, according to those descriptions that have been read, it's really talking about life in the world right now, or worldliness, if you like. Ken, what's your opinion about the state of society in the world at this stage? Well, I believe we don't have to go very far to see the world's in a terrible mess. We have got corruption, confusion, false worship, disregard and disrespect for God and his will. Same-sex marriage is just a complete breakdown of society in all directions. I guess you could say that's an example. Yes, Dick? I was just going to to intervene and and just at this stage try probably to, to parallel a little bit more this uh, um, the ancient Babylon with the Babylon which you are talking about in Revelation because people may just think of, of what's, what's the story here you know we, we heard about uh, an ancient uh, power uh, Babylon which history proves it and now in Revelation we're talking about another Babylon a modern Babylon what's the link here one thing which I would like to really bring out is that even ancient Babylon was a power in history, but 
it was a false religion, if you like. They had a false worship. And the parallel with the modern Babylon is that, again, the worship aspect, it's a false worship. It's not um, following God. Rather more, it's oppressing the children of God, those people who follow God and want to worship God in the true aspects. Yes, you could say that <clears throat> all the isms, materialism and hedonism and pleasure and sport and all of that is part of Babylon too. It's not just false religion and false teachings, but all this other stuff in together. Harvey, in Re well, this is quite a long bit for you to read. Would you mind reading Revelation 18 verses 1 to 10? Yes, yeah, sure. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled to her double. How much she hath glorified herself, and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Yeah. Well, there's a, quite a bit of personification going on here. And um, how, from what you've just read, Harvey, is Babylon depicted? Well, it's using the term her so many times, it has to be a woman. Yeah. And what were the two key vices that are mentioned in verse 3? It says being drunk with her wine and being adulterous with her. All right, which is really putting one's energies, efforts, interests in the things of the world, whether it's false religion or just living a, a, a life of pleasure and so on and so on. Len, just uh, one thing. Harvey, you mentioned straight away that that's a woman, you know. It's interesting enough that uh, people may think, oh, was the what bothered them? It's only one woman, you know, there. I mean, could be immoral. There are so many immoral, you know, <laughs> persons in this world. 
like uh, is that talking about uh, like a person a woman or uh, what do you think about that well what you say nick is right but the bible clearly speaks about mo a woman being symbolic of a church and that i think is where we, where it comes and it'll certainly come out more as as we progress through it i mean that's what i thought you know the first thing when can come in people's mind is you know we're talking about a person but now we're talking about here power a spiritual power as we as you yeah you just mentioned about the um, in the previous studies we talked about uh, what a woman represents like a pure woman or like a mm. apostate you know or, yeah yes well i'm sure no, I can't be sure because I don't really know, but I imagine many of you as listeners would have heard of the call that the Roman Catholic Church is putting out to the Protestant churches, describing the Protestant churches as daughters to come home to the mother church. And here we've just got another illustration, whatever you make of that. But the illustration is simply talking about a power as a woman. In the case of what Harvey read there, it's really to do with the whole world and the church is being part of that. Ken, I was going to ask you, these adulteries and being drunk of the wine of the woman, what does that mean to you? Well, as I see it, Len, it's a part of a, a bigger system where most of the world, especially the churches that are going to fall under the Roman influence are going to follow her and her lead and as we've seen she's now been classed as Babylon and uh, everyone or majority is going to follow her and so they're following the wrong path yeah and so churches are also affected absolutely um, Lydia how would you say as an observer that churches are being affected by this Babylon or this worldly false religion, false values, and, and that system? We observe that in the churches, um, the world enters in, it's creeping into the churches. Um, and these uh, are the false uh, doctrine that are, are taught in the church, um, secular type music, social gospel, um, also acceptance of forbidden or abominable things, and also entertainment in the place of sound teaching. Um, this is, uh, is a result of a lack of personal Bible knowledge, Bible study, the Word of God, so it's a lack of personal relationship with our Creator, and also I would like to mention that the reverence and humble worship the Lord in the church is visible. Churches became like a club instead of a church, uh, being there, coming there to worship um, the Lord, our God and Creator. Okay, well I had a friend, I'll just finish this Nick and then you can say, I had a friend who was uh, he belonged to the Uniting Church and he, he used to give me the um, newspaper that the church printed. And I noticed that at that time there was this big issue 
about whether homosexuals could be ministers in the church. Uh, as far as I know, that has happened. Homosexuals can hold ministry positions in the church. Lydia, you've got something to share about what we've just been talking about. We all know very well that the Bible declares that before the coming of the Lord, Satan will work with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and they that received no, not the love of the truth that they might be saved will be left to receive strong delusion that they should believe a lie. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9 till 11 it says not until this condition shall be reached and the union of the church with the world shall be fully accomplished throughout Christendom will the fall of Babylon be complete. The change is a progressive one and the perfect fulfillment of Revelation 14 verse 8 is yet future. Yeah. So when you think about it Babylon is a system of false worship, false values, uh, just seeking one's own pleasure. And the call that God makes, he says, come out of her, my people. So this particular lifestyle and these false worship systems and spiritism and Satanism and all that goes with it are not for God's people. We should be away and out of that sort of thing. Well, we've basically finished what we wanted to say about Babylon, so we're going to go on to the second of the two um, topics today, is about Armageddon. And I know many of you are very interested in this. Just before you go in, into next uh, topic, um, I would like to just mention a couple of things about uh, Babylon and, and what we just said already uh, about uh, creeping compromises, you know, coming into apostate church. And um, as we make references to a power, like a spiritual power in this world that today, some of the things w people look at it may not look like. You may think even the, the church we're talking about is quite reverent or is quite, uh, uh, you know, Religious. Uh, religious and uh, showing a very interesting, uh, I mean, a very powerful interest in uh, presenting the scripture. What I would like to link with this is the daughters, because uh, they are fornicating, you know, with, with this uh, power. And it's important to see that, that sometime under, uh, under cover, a powerful uh, uh, organization or a, or a church in our case can work their interests through some other groups, if you like, or other uh, arms or the daughters, as the Bible puts it, as we read, you know, the, the, you mentioned also, Len, come home to the mother church, all your re rebellious daughters. I just want to make clear this because, uh, yeah, I don't want to leave any 
uh, suspicions there, yeah. Well, I'd just like to add to that, Nick, just to help people understand a little bit. My brother used to work for a company called Allen's Sweets. Now, I'm sure you've seen ads on TV, and if you've been into a supermarket or a deli, you'll see a rack with Allen's Sweets. He did very well, and then he left... And when I asked him, why did you leave? Because you were doing quite well there. He said, because Alan's Sweets was bought out by, I think it was Rothmans or Philip Morris, which basically meant that the profits from Alan's Sweets were going into Philip Morris, who, or Rothmans, I don't remember exactly which it was, which, of course, was a cigarette company, and cigarettes and tobacco, as you know, has ruined millions of lives. And he felt he could not morally continue selling Allen's Sweets when it was going into uh, this cigarette company. And what Nick was saying was there that sometimes the daughters, if you like, the daughter churches, the Protestant churches, are doing things that are supporting and agreed with by the Mother Church, the Umbrella Organisation. All right, well, we were going to start on Armageddon, but um, a few other things had to be said. Ken, where in the Bible is the only reference of the word Armageddon mentioned? Well, if we look at Revelation chapter 16 and verse 16 and I'll just read that and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon what time period is mentioned there and you can keep your finger in that same chapter Ken and just read right through verses 12 through to 16 what's the time period mentioned and the sixth angel poured out his veil upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So what's the time period mentioned? Actually, the scriptures say the great day of God Almighty. And what day is that? It's the coming of Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what was the situation? What's the situation mentioned here, Lydia? regarding Armageddon? The situation here is that Scripture presents Armageddon as the ultimate climax, not between squabbling nations, uh, but between the two sides of cosmic controversy. So it's a religious struggle, not economic or political, however much economic and political factors might come into play. So it's a spiritual battle, a battle for uh, allegiance, a battle for the souls of mankind. Okay, good answer. Uh, Harvey, who are the combatants? I think Lydia probably referred to this, but who are the combatants in this battle? 
well, because it's a spiritual battle, it's the satanic forces, and unfortunately that involves people, leaders in the world who actually influence others, and all against God. And that is a really important point, that it's a spiritual battle that is actually challenging belief in God. Okay. Um, I think Lydia mentioned, she used the term the great controversy. The great controversy through the ages has been the battle of good and evil of God versus Satan. You mentioned also earlier, Len, that um, uh, people have uh, quite a bit of interest in this regard to know about Armageddon, and uh, they have come with all sorts of ideas, you know. But yeah, just simply the word Armageddon um, comes from the root word uh, Mount Megiddo, which um, uh, yeah just uh, refers to a place like uh, in the Middle East. But from the point we look at, from a spiritual point, we need to kind of you know how Revelation is speaking in symbols and in in you know paralleling uh, all these messages. We need to understand why. It's mentioned Armageddon with a spiritual battle rather than a physical battle, even though we'll see later on that um, it's mentioned blood there and all sorts of things, you know. What is very important to me, it says in Revelation uh, chapter 16 with verse uh, 12, um, actually verse 13, it says that, then I saw their evil spirits that looked like frogs. They come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So it means coming out of the mouth, what does it signifies because out of the mouth comes uh, everything that comes from the heart and from the mind which are words so words are transforming in teaching um, I mean in thoughts and ideas and teaching and preaching so can we um, identify also we can see here the dragon who is the dragon and uh, uh, the, there is a beast of the sea and there is a beast of the, of the earth. So there are two beasts and the dragon. So let's identify who are these. So can we come back to that? And we talked about that actually in previous uh, Bible study, but we can uh, probably just come back to that and just uh, review uh, for, uh, for our listeners just to make yeah. the parallel. We'll do that in a moment. You know, with every battle, there's, a t uh, there's an aim target. So, Harvey, what is the target of the battle? This is a battle for allegiance. We say it's a spiritual battle because it is. It's a battle for the souls of mankind and it's really a, where people have to make a choice. Either they'll be on God's side or they'll be on the devil's side. Okay. So, really, that means, listeners, it's a battle between Christ and Satan for you, for your allegiance, for your soul, if you like, and ours as well. 
Now, Lydia was talking about, she read from Revelation 16, talking about these unclean spirits. And she read about they came out of the mouths of the dragon, out of the first beast, the beast from the sea, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And just as Nick has said, we've dealt with this in the past. But we'll just review this. Who is the dragon? The dragon is Satan. Yeah. It's Satan. Who has the first beast been identified as? The Roman church power. Yes. And then the false prophet. This is the first time this uh, particular terminology has come up here. Who is the false prophet? It's probably the United States or a corrupted version of Protestantism. Yeah. And you'll notice that the verse said, and Lydia pointed this out, but we're going to reiterate this. Where do these evil spirits come from? Anybody? They come come from the devil, don't they? Well, ultimately, but they come out of the mouths, and Lydia was pointing out that this is words, this is teachings, this is preachings, it's thoughts and ideas things that are false, things that would lead us astray. In a previous program we talked about deception and it's part of the deception. Ken, what will be the outcome if you would like to read Revelation chapter 19 verses 19 through to 21? 19, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that he had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of the mouth of his mouth and all the foils were filled with their flesh. So what's the outcome? Well, the outcome, unfortunately, for those that aren't with the Lord, is they're going to be destroyed. It makes that very clear. But the living who trust in the Lord and uh, are his servants will be saved. Yes. And uh, your future, listeners, depends on your response to God. And if you get caught up in false worship and all this rubbish that goes on in the world, what you can expect is destruction. If you're faithful, however, you can um, expect eternal life. Now, it's interesting to think why the word Armageddon is used to describe this last great battle on earth. And Armageddon really comes from the word Megiddo. I've seen a picture of Megiddo. It's what they call a till. A till is a hill, a small hill, a mound, where there once was a civilization where the buildings were all ruined, and then another civilization or another people group came, they built on it, and so as a result of building after various generations a tell not a till I'm sorry I told you the wrong thing (laughs) Um, and it's just a little hill on this big open plain when you think about it 
if this is supposed to be a physical battle, what would be the significance of that? Can you imagine, just for example, the Soviet army coming here, the American army coming here and facing each other? It's not going to be a battle of swords and bows and arrows. We've got uh, guided weaponry rockets that can pinpoint a target. So the idea of a physical battle is kind of silly, I think. Now, Harvey, why do you think that Megiddo, from which the word Armageddon comes, is named as the last great battle on Earth? Why not call it something else? Well, it's interesting that famous battles have been fought at this location in the past, and there have been scenes of attempted foreign takeovers. Now, interestingly, when John wrote the book of Revelation, there had already been two great battles, at least, well before that time, because in the 15th century BC, there was a battle fought between Egyptian pharaoh Tutmosis III and a large Canaanite coalition led by the rulers of Megiddo and Kadesh. That was 15 centuries before Christ. As well as 609 BC, there was another battle of Megiddo. It was fought between the Egyptian pharaoh Necho II and the kingdom of Judah, in which King Josiah fell. And then in 1918, that's in modern times, there was a battle of Megiddo, and it was fought during World War I between Allied troops led by General Edmund Allenby and the defending Ottoman army. So really, this was the scene, and there have been other places where similar things have happened, but this was a scene where pagan forces attacked God's people. Well, that's how it seems to me. Lydia, you've got something good to share on this. Um, as I said before, Scripture presents Armageddon as the ultimate climax, not between nations, but between the two sides of the cosmic controversy. So the Battle of Armageddon is a, it's a, a speech, spiritual battle by nature, opposing two spiritual enemies, the Babylon and the heavenly Jerusalem. So as we mentioned before, the camp of Babylon is represented by the three beasts, the dragon, the sea beast, and the land beast. So the deceiver is there to destroy. Uh, the prophecy actually specifies that these powers use paranormal methods, which are the spirits of demons, to seduce the kings of the earth, as we read in Revelation 16:14. Yes, Dick. I would like to bring you back uh, just a little bit to uh, Revelation uh, 16, and uh, just start from verse 12, uh, because here is the, the sixth angel pouring out his bowl and talks about few things which are very interesting. We need to depict two events. In this passage from verse 12 to verse uh, 16, is talking about this battle, but is talking also about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this battle will take place before the second coming of Jesus Christ, because I'll just read a few verses here. And another thing which uh, was mentioned here about powers and kings, in verse uh, 12, um, the last part of verse 12, it says that um, the great uh, river Euphrates and his waters 
was dried up so the so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared but jumping further to verse uh, 15 it says behold i'm coming as a thief blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they uh, will see his shame just i want to to ask uh, a question here why is mentioning there these three things at least the kings of the east the second coming of jesus and the actual battle the reason i'm asking because we're talking about a spiritual battle here and in the text says the kings of the east coming and some people came with the idea that uh, uh, a very huge army from the east will come you know some people may say even from the chinese uh, culture and so on the reason i don't want to leave it there just um, you know hanging yeah hanging there is because we are talking spiritually about and symbolically about few things here and what will happen and you pointed out land that in these days we don't need to really meet together their two armies you know you can pinpoint uh, from far distance i mean we we just know about uh, how north korea is giving Uh, big trouble to everyone around the world because they are uh, powerful to reach out long distances coming to to the point to not to to drag it too much is that Jesus is warning out his people that there will be a deception there will be false teachings there will be a battle if you like of the mind in many aspects and people will come as multitudes to accept that thing and after that you know to even fight with the elect ones but the spe- as the mental battle if you like and that's one of the things which uh, which i think these verses are pointing out it's not time uh, in this uh, segment which we do bible study to to go really in detail but uh, if our listeners would like to check that and even contact us you know for further bible studies will be probably a good thing Yeah, I, I think name. Nick uh, Nick another important thing maybe to bring out is the the fact that when the day of the Lord does arrive that there's only going to be two types of people and there's going to be those that are with the Lord and those that aren't and perhaps maybe people might think well uh, I'm not with the Lord but I'm not with Satan not fully understanding that if you're not actually with God you're automatically on Satan's side. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, there there was in the past another battle, but me if you like, another battle which involved the same issues. And that was on Mount Carmel, which is about 20 kilometers roughly northwest of Megiddo. Harvey, would you like to just tell the story which is recorded in 1 Kings 18 verses 1 to 18. We won't get you to read it. If you could just tell us what actually happened. Yes, Elijah at the time was the prophet of God and he was regarded by the king who was King Ahab at the time and Ahab had a wife Jezebel but he was considered to be trouble because there'd been years of famine which Elijah had announced before it happened and so he was considered to be big trouble for Israel so he eventually he told Ahab 
which is an interesting story in itself, but if you read First Kings 18, you'll get the story directly from Scripture. But he told Ahab to get all his people together onto Mount Carmel and make sure that the prophets of Baal are also brought. And there was 450 prophets of Baal, whereas as far as God's prophets were concerned, it was only Elijah. He was there alone, but there were 450 prophets of Baal. That's what I call getting outnumbered. But I have the term that says God and I make a majority, and that was pretty much exactly what the situation was that day for Elijah because he challenged the people. If you think you should be worshipping Baal, then worship Baal. But if you think it should be God, then worship God. He was really saying, cut the compromise out. Actually make a decision. And to do that, he said, I'll challenge you to something. He said, I'm the only prophet of God, and there's 450 prophets of Baal. He said, let's have a challenge. Let's make a altar for both, Baal and God. Put a bull on them, and wood and everything the only thing we won't put on it is fire and you can ask your god Baal to send down fire from heaven and burn your offering and I'll do the same for God and he said but we just won't put fire under it and so they did that and it's an interesting almost humorous story at one stage because Elijah said for them to go first and so they put their offering on the on the altar and they prayed to their God, shouted and danced and even got so frustrated they started cutting themselves to try and make it so that their God would listen. And then Elijah, as I said, there's a bit of humour involved here, even though it was a deadly serious situation. He said, perhaps you're not speaking loud enough. Perhaps your God's sleeping or he's gone on a holiday or he's meditating or doing something else. And uh, so they did it all the more. But eventually, towards the end of the day, and as described in the scriptures at the time of the evening offering, because within the sacrificial system, there was an evening sacrifice that was given normally within the Israeli camp. And uh, so Elijah said, now it's my turn because they'd achieved nothing. There'd been no response at all from their God. After all, how could he? He's only stone anyway. And so Elijah then made the altar up, cut the beast up and put it on, put wood and everything. And then he did something really strange. He said to the people that were there, I want you to put a whole lot of water on it as well. So they went and got water and after they did it once he said do it again please so they went and got more water and did it again and uh, then they did it a third time and after they'd done that he simply spoke to God and he said you know basically said to God show yourself was, this is my words not the you can certainly get it out of scripture directly but basically reveal yourself to the people here and all of a sudden down from heaven came fire and it must have been fairly dramatic because it actually burnt the sacrifice, it burnt the wood, it even burnt the stones and it even burnt Everything. the ground under the stones mm -hmm. and it burnt the water that was in the 
trenches trenches around the made around the thing and so people realized who really was the true god and that's basically what's happening is at armageddon isn't it there's going to be a decision and it will end up in total victory for god very important thing and i wanted us to know that that if you're on god's side you're going to have victory if you're on the enemy's side you're going to have defeat Yes, Nick. Yeah, even though, uh, as we learned, that uh, being on God's side, you may feel like a minority. And that was the case with Elijah, in a minority. Um, and those people who are um, worshipping, you know, false gods, they can be in majority and very big force. But the outcome is, with uh, Harvey just mentioned, with God on our side, we are the winners, we are victorious, because it's not through us, it's through our Lord Jesus Christ who will win the battle. I, I think a really important point we should bring out in this, in this particular battle that uh, we've just heard about, uh, the prophet said to people, which God are you going to worship? When this next event happens, the die is already cast and you won't have a choice, you have to know beforehand. Mm. Yes, we need to choose every day. Yes, this story of Elijah, uh, it, it portrays to us in our days exactly the same thing that uh, Elijah uh, states the issue very plainly in front of people, uh, which it says in, in uh, First King uh, chapter 18 with verse 18. And he says plainly to people, uh, you people have forsaken God's <laughs> law and are worshipping and following false gods. Has not this always been the issue, regardless of the endless forms and ways in which this evil has been manifested throughout history? Yes, it is. So, we are either worshipping him who made uh, the heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of water, or we are worshipping someone else or something else. So in Revelation also 13, instead of worshipping the Lord, people are worshipping the beast and his image. Uh, so there is no middle ground. We're a, we are either on one side of God or the other side of Satan. Yeah. So though that's how important the issues at stakes are now, and especially in the Battle of Armageddon, where we will see in the story of Mount Carmel, uh, also as we discussed about Megiddo, uh, the distinctions which becomes very, very clear. All right. If the Lord be God, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. Ken, would you read First Corinthians 15, 1 and 2? And listeners, if you would keep in mind what we've just been talking about, if the Lord be God, serve him. And if Baal be God, serve him. Yes, Ken. Okay, Corinthians 1, chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Yes, so we must not get caught up. In the affairs of Satan, the affairs of the world, we must remain true to God. Lydia, did you have a final word on this? Yes, I do. 
as we've seen here, as we discussed, the battle of Armageddon is a spiritual battle and will op oppose all the forces of evil to the camp of the kingdom of God. The battle of Armageddon is a struggle for the mind. It is also a battle for the heart, a call to heartfelt allegiance to the lamb that was slain. Yeah. Now, you can go in one direction or the other. I want to tell you a story, and this is a little bit humorous, but it's to the point. When I was a child, we lived in the country, and part of our property ran along the main road near the River Murray. My good friend John and I were about half a kilometre away from our home one day because there was a processionary moth nest in one of the trees that grew near the side of the road. And so we'd gone up to see it because processionary moths, are the caterpillars are like a camel caravan where there's a leading caterpillar and then another one that follows directly behind it so it's like a chain. And you can have a bit of fun if you join up the leader with the tail end, they keep going round and round and round. Anyhow, we were looking at this uh, processionary moth nest in the tree and a car came along the road and the driver of the car stopped the car and said to us boys, boys, can you tell me which way to go to Manham? Now to go to Manham he had to keep going in the direction that he was already going. But we said, oh no, you need to turn around and go back the other way. So he did. We thought it was funny, but it's actually probably quite, quite cruel, although he would have found another sign leading to Manum. But you see, in life, there is a right direction and a wrong direction. And what we've been talking about today, the way of the world is the wrong direction. And in the uh, Battle of Armageddon, which we've been talking about, is a battle for our minds, for our allegiance, for our worship. And the time is fast approaching when there will be terrible trouble on the earth. It'll be a struggle by terrific powers to have you. On one hand is the Lord who gently encourages you to give your allegiance, your heart, to him. On the other hand is Satan and all those who back him. The pressure put on Christians will be enormous. Don't follow the wrong directions. Don't follow a false gospel. Don't go with the majority. Stand up for Jesus. Stand up for what is good. Stand up to be on the side of victory, the victory that Christ has already won over Satan for you. Take up Elijah's challenge. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we totally run out of time, but I will um, encourage each one of our listeners, if you like to find out more and study more about this, contact us and uh, we'll be happy to go further and to guide you through some of the details of um, these passages in the Bible. Thank you for being with us today. May God bless you. Until next time, keep following the true way to follow God.